Good morning. Great to be with you in Leeds, Alabama. I was thinking about coming here, and when I was a child, I lived in Florida in a place called Lakeland, Florida, and I got to watch on uh, one occasion the round mound of rebound. Some of you know who I'm talking about, Charles Barkley. I heard he was from this area of the country. And so um, when I was uh, making plans to come here and thinking about uh, being with the Kaisers and uh, enjoying my time with you, I took me back to my childhood. I was an Orlando Magic fan. I got to watch uh, Charles Barkley play in a preseason game uh, back when the Orlando Magic just started. And uh, so good memories. It's great to be with you this morning. I appreciate you being with us as we embrace this topic and think about this in a biblical way. I do want to say by way of introduction to our parents again that my goal is not to take your place as a parent in these discussions either in the Bible class hour right now or in the hour after lunch. My goal is not to uh, create any issues in your own home but my goal in this is to help you equip you with knowledge from the scriptures on how to have some of these conversations that are sometimes sensitive. I want you to imagine with me this morning a young lady by the name of Michelle. I want to ask you to think about this scenario and to imagine what you would do if you found yourself in the same situation. Imagine you call your best friend one day and when you're talking to your best friend, you're your best friend starts to confide in you about his daughter named Michelle. Michelle's like any other young girl. She's 11 years old at this point in her life. She's pretty good at softball, and if you were to look inside Michelle's room, you would notice on Michelle's room is all of these softball trophies. She's got two older brothers, and they're kind of an athletic family. Your best friend is athletic, his wife is athletic, and so you would expect that their children would be athletic too. And as you talk to your best friend on the phone that day, your best friend starts pouring out to you about Michelle and Michelle's encounter with her mom on a Monday night. As you're talking to your best friend, he confides in you and says, listen, last night, Michelle went into my wife's room, and the two of them were together, and Michelle was there, and she was just pouring out to my wife, and she was brokenhearted, and she was, she was pouring out her soul, and the tears were falling left and right, and my wife, my wife just put her arm around Michelle, and as Michelle just poured out her soul, and she was, she was angry at times, she was sad at times, she was ranting at times, and my wife just held her and listened to her. She wasn't sure exactly what to say to Michelle. She wasn't sure exactly what to say. Michelle started puberty at age nine. She was uncomfortable with her body, and she, she wanted to be just like her two older brothers. And she's like, why is my body going through these changes? Why, is my body have to, why do I have to be, mom, why do I have to be a girl? Imagine this scenario. Michelle's 11 years old. Michelle is in a home. Her home says, we've got to do something. She takes, they take Michelle to a counselor. They take Michelle to a psychiatrist. 
For six months, they spend time with a psychiatrist, and at the end of that time, having spent time with a psychiatrist and a psychologist, psychologist says, Michelle has gender dysmorphia. Not gender dysmorphia, gender dysphoria. Michelle has gender dysphoria. And as you spend time in talking with that physician and you spend time in talking with that psychologist, the psychologist turns to you on one occasion and asks you this question. Would you rather have a trans son or a dead daughter? There's your options. If you were Michelle's parent, what would you say to that psychologist? Change. Transitioning. It's like Visa. It's everywhere you want to be. And I want to submit to you this morning that transitioning is not just something Michelle might be thinking about, or her parents, or that psychologist, or that psychiatrist. But I want to submit to you this morning that transitioning is something that not only God asks us to think about, it's something that God, in fact, demands. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible speaks about a time in Jesus' life. After John the Baptist, remember, was arrested, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is repentance? Is repentance not a transition? Is repentance not a change of mind that results in a change of action? I want to invite you this morning as we spend this time together to think with me about why transitioning is right for everyone and I want us to see that God's definition of transitioning is very different from the world's definition of transitioning. In our next session, we'll talk about to trans and back. But in this hour, I want you to contemplate with me this idea, what if you had a few moments of Michelle's time? Could we not find some common ground in interests that six, seven, eight, nine adolescents, teens, college age individuals, sometimes even in people in their 40s are seeking physical transitioning? But could we not find some common ground in Scripture in God's expectation of transitioning? These definitions are not the same. The world's definition of transitioning is not the same as the biblical definition of transitioning. But I want us to see that God has something to say to us with regards to that. Number one, when you and I think about transitioning this morning, I want us to think about transitioning 
into or to trouble and tragedy versus transitioning into or to triumph and truth. Number one, when you and I think about transitioning into trouble, we can read through pages of Scripture and we can see in multiple places throughout the Bible where man, God creates man in his very own image. We talked about that in the Bible class hour where man is created in God's image. And when God was finished with creation, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, he says that creation was very good. That is, your masculinity as, created, as Adam was created was very good. Your femininity, if you happen to be a woman, it, it was created and it was very good. And you can look at various passages throughout Scripture that affirm that. But Job would say that man is a few days and full of trouble. You're created in the image of God. You have a nature. You have a glory. You have a, a, an objective essence here. We talked about in Bible class hour, is there anything objective anymore? And I want us to uh, continue to affirm that there is something objective. And one of the things that is objective is, is truth. It is the word of God that Jesus came into this world and that if he had a chance to talk to a person who was lesbian or bisexual or, or a gay man, or if he had to, the chance to talk to someone who has body dysmorphia or someone who has gender dysphoria or if he was to talk to someone who is transitioning or contemplating transitioning that what he would say is that while you were a sinner Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 Christ died for the ungodly that there are certain transitions that happen in a person's life when they sin that when you violate the objective will of God when you violate the standard of God you cross through a door you walk through a door that you can't walk out all by yourself you read Romans chapter 6 and you see that a person is under the power and the penalty of sin you read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 where it says that by nature you were children of wrath our nature changes when we sin our identity changes when we sin. Our glory changes when we sin. James talks about the body and the spirit. Talks about how the flesh and the spirit are together. And as long as you're in this mortal body, Romans talks about it groaning. Do you ever wish you were outside your body? Do you ever wish that you were somewhere else? Do you ever wish that your troubles and your trials and the temptations, that, that they would stop? But you're in this flesh, and so you groan. There are these transitions of glory. Romans chapter 1 and verse 23 talks about the Gentiles, how they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. There's this trade-off, if you will. There's this exchange of glory, this exchange of truth. You read Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, and you see that there's this transition of relationship that in Isaiah 59, that it talks about sin and what sin does to a person, that your sins and your iniquities have separated you from God, that God hides his face from you because of sin. You see, I walk through a door that I cannot walk out of by myself except for the blood of Christ. There's these transitions. 
There is this transitioning that happens, and we talked about our nature. There's this transitioning that happens with my image, and we would read that what Peter has to say about being a partaker in the scripture reading, being a partaker of his divine nature. How do we get it back? Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of after the image of its creator. Brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends, I'm concerned this morning about people like Michelle. As a pharmacist, going to the University of Florida where I met my wife Katrina, we think about medical things on a regular basis and we think about medication and we think about health care and we're trained like that and I'm concerned about people like Michelle who might show up in a primary care physician's office or a pediatrician's office or a psychiatrist's office or a psychologist's office or a therapist of some sort and I'm concerned about what she might hear I'm concerned about Michelle and her vulnerability. She's trying to make sense of her world. Her parents are trying to make sense of Michelle in her place, in her world, in a 9-year-old's flesh, in a 10-year-old's flesh, in an 11-year-old's flesh. Her parents are trying to help her parents care. That's why they end up in the clinic. Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There are hundreds and thousands of kids that will show up in offices all around our country this morning, this week, and what will be proposed to them is something that is most ungodly. American Academy of Pediatrics came out with a statement in 2018. It was reaffirmed this year by the American Academy of Pediatrics. It advocates for what's called gender-affirming care. Listen to what it says. In a gender-affirmative care model, pediatric providers offer developmentally appropriate care that is oriented toward understanding and appreciating the youth's gender experience. A strong, non-judgmental partnership with youth and their families can facilitate exploration of complicated emotions and gender-diversive gender diverse expressions while allowing questions and concerns to be raised in a supportive environment. What's the academy advocating for? Listen, your, your three-year-old goes into the pediatrician's office and your three-year-old is, is crystallizing in their minds this idea of what gender actually is. You see, as we talked about in the Bible class hour, these formations are formed at age two, three, four, five, six. These ideas of what biological sex is and what this idea of, of gender is, those are formed in the pre-K years and onward. What the American Academy of Pediatrics says is that, listen, 
Your five-year-old doesn't feel comfortable. Your five-year-old is female, but likes to work with dad on the car. Listen, that, that, that your five-year-old might be experiencing gender dysphoria. Do you want to go to the, the gender clinic? Pediatrician might say, I can make a referral for you to the gender clinic. It's, it's not that far. There's an academic medical center right here within an hour. Do you want to go? I'll give you a referral. The policy continues to say, many medical interventions can be offered to youth who identify as TGD and their families. There is no prescribed path, sequence, or endpoint. Think about that. You can go online, you can read this policy, it's free, it's in the prestigious American Journal, American Academy of Pediatrics published in that. You could read this journal article for yourself. You could see the policy recommendations. You could see its details. You could see how they advocate for gender-affirming care while saying that conversion therapy, in their estimation, simply does not work. Question. If you were to go to a pediatrician's office or a pediatric endocrinologist's office and, and you were to say, listen, my daughter wants to transition. We're here for that appointment. But the pediatrician or the endocrinologist would say, hey, there's no endpoint. Wait, time out. What do you mean by that? I mean, when we talk about transitioning, what we're talking about is male to female or female to male. What do you mean there's no endpoint? When you think about the surgeries that happen, when you think about the medications that are given, whether estrogen or testosterone or the puberty blockers that are given, or whether you're talking about the different surgeries that happen in terms of a person's face or top surgeries or bottoms, what do you mean there's no endpoint? I mean, isn't it male to female or female to male? What are we talking about here? American Academy of P this is their words. This is what they've said. What do you do with our children that end up in these offices? James Cantor has taken issue with that. He wrote an insightful rebuttal to the policy. He's a psychologist out of Canada. Listen to what he says. He says, although almost all clinics and professional associations in the world use what's called the watchful waiting approach to help transgender and gender diverse children, the AAP statement rejected the consensus, endorsing only gender affirmation. That is, where the consensus is to delay any transition after the onset of puberty, AAP instead rejected waiting before transition. With AAP taking such a dramatic departure from other professional associations, I was immediately curious about what evidence led them to that conclusion. This is a PhD psychologist that's saying, I read their statement, I also read their sources. Listen to what else 
Dr. Cantor says. He says, as I read the works on which they based their policy, however, I was pretty surprised, rather alarmed actually. These documents simply did not say what AAP claimed they did. In fact, the references that AAP cited as the basis of their policy instead outright contradicted that policy, repeatedly endorsing watchful waiting. He continues, the AAP statement was also remarkable in what it left out, namely the actual outcomes research on GD children. In total, there have been 11 follow-up studies of GD children, of which AAP cited one, doing so without actually mentioning the outcome data it contained. The literature on outcomes was neither reviewed, summarized, nor subjected to meta-analysis to be considered in the aggregate. Listen to what he says. It was merely disappeared. The list of all existing studies appears in the appendix. As they make clear, every follow-up study of GD children, without exception, found the same thing. Over puberty, the majority of GD children ceased to want to transition. AAP is, of course, free to establish whatever policy it likes on whatever basis it likes, but any assertion that their policy is based on evidence is demonstrably false, as detailed below. I'd be happy to share this with you if you're interested. That was his rebuttal. In a journal known as the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy, December 14th, 2019. So transition. Transition into trouble and tragedy, sin takes us into those arenas. But that's not the end of the story. I want you to know that God can make some tremendous transitioning in your life, even this very hour. Could be the case that there's someone in the audience this morning who is not a Christian. Could be the case that there's somebody here who is never put on Christ in baptism. Could it be the case that there's someone in the audience today who's never become a Christian. I want you to know that God wants to change you. You'll have to consent to that. You'll have to want it. You'll have to seek him. You'll have to open up his word and believe the the precepts and the principles that are taught therein. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in the scripture that was read for us earlier, it reads, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want you, if you have a paper Bible, if you underline in your Bible, I want you to draw a circle around these two phrases in this. I want you to circle the word divine power, and I want you to draw a line from the circle around divine power to the circle around divine nature. Friend, I want to convince you this morning that you can become a partaker 
of God's divine power and of God's divine nature, not outside of your either masculine or feminine body, but inside it. And that your masculinity in God's eyes or your femininity in God's eyes are meant and intended by your Creator to be a vessel for His honorable use. And I want you to see that we talked about transitions into trouble and tragedy, but here is a transition that Peter talks about that is a transition of glory. Notice what the text says. It is a change of glory. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We talked about in Romans how it talks about the exchange of glory. But here, in God's divine power and in God's divine nature, when you become a partaker of that, what does sin do to us? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? Glory. God's glory. And I want to submit to you that when you become a partaker of God's divine power and God's divine nature, that, that there's a transition of glory in your life because sin carries with it a side of God's glory that none of us want to be partakers of. You look at the concept of glory in the Old Testament, and it mattered whether you had obeyed God or whether you disobeyed God. Because if you disobeyed God because the glory appeared in the top of the mountain, when Moses went up to receive the law, but there were some things going on at the bottom of the mountain, and it, and it mattered if you were worshiping a golden calf, because when Moses came down and when the tablets of stone were broken, it mattered on which side of God's glory you stood on. It matters today. There is this transition of glory. There is this transition of glory to the divine power, the divine nature of God. There is a divine transition in terms of truth, whether you accept or reject God's truth. There is a transition in terms of your relationship. Isaiah 59 talks about how there is this separation that occurs because of sin. But here's a transition that puts you in God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And whether your sin is sexual in nature, bodily in nature, trans flesh-seeking in nature or not, every single one of us need this. I don't know what your sins are this morning, but I know that Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says that there are none that are righteous, none not one. No, not one. Our nature needs to change. There has to be a transition. Look in Genesis 1.27 on the screen. It says that we were created in God's image. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2. Male and female, they were created in the likeness of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, with it, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You know what I need and you need? I need renewal. Whether gender dysphoria, whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's transitioning, whatever your sin is, 
Renewal is exactly what you need. After the image of its creator. All of us can relate to that. All of us can see the need for transitioning. Romans chapter 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, once I walk through that transition of trouble, I am now under the power and the penalty of sin. I'm going to receive in my body. I'm going to receive in my spirit the wrath of God unless I accept the grace of God through faith, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do you see how it rules? To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14 says this, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 21, let not sin therefore reign. Excuse me, verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. This morning, There are probably people in the audience this morning that may have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years or more. There may be people in the audience this morning that may be Christians for but a few weeks. I don't know. But I do know this. That when Paul reflects on baptism in Romans chapter 6, Make no mistake about it. It's radical in its nature. When he says, verse 6 of Romans 6, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing in baptism, he's not saying this. Listen, I know most of you in here this morning are good people. He's not saying that. He's not saying, listen, I know that most of you are really good neighbors, and I know that most of you would give the shirt off your back to anyone in this room and probably neighbors two or three doors down. I know you're those kind of people. That's not what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6. He's saying you have to die. It's radical. The body of sin might be brought to nothing when, Paul, a baptism. Romans 6, verse 1, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's he say? God forbid. What did he say in Romans chapter 5? He said, God is a God of much more. And that whatever has happened to you in your life of sin, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. And that all of us, all accountable human beings, not children, not the two-year-old, not the three-year-old that has not reached a, a measure of accountability in their life, 
but all accountable people. Make no mistake about it when we talk about your nature and your identity. What God says has to happen to you is you've got to take into that watery grave of baptism an old man of sin, and you've got to crucify him. Not dust a good person off. Not uh, Here's a little bit of self-help for people that are already pretty good. This is taking sinful people to the very cross of Calvary and saying, Jesus, I know you died for me. And I know that even if I died, I would not be granted forgiveness for my own sins. But I know if I trust in your work on Calvary, on your death, on your burial, trust in your resurrection, that you'll create a transition in my life that will simply blow my mind. And for all the days of your life, that transition, when you're faithful to God, will be like the psalmist psalm in Psalm 23, a cup that never ceases to overflow. Transitioning is for everyone. How can the church help? Four points, and the lesson will be yours. Love is not fearful, homophobic, or transphobic. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to challenge the church here this morning. If a group of 10, 20, 30, 50 people poured in the doors this morning that were lesbian, homosexual, bisexual, transgender, 50 people poured in the doors this morning or more, would you create room for them on your pew? Would you say, listen, this building is for you. Will you come with me to lunch today? Thanks for coming here. Would you say, listen, I've got a, I've got a table at my house. Will you come and sit with me and have coffee? Would you say, hey, I've got an automobile. Will you take a ride with me and... Let's go grab a bite. Would, would hospitality pour forth from you as God's people saying that my Lord Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors? I can too. A lot of people in our world make decisions different than us. And Jesus said, come and follow me. 
Who's to say that one of us here this morning is the bridge, is the person that can share the love of Christ with the person who may make different decisions than you, who may have a favorite pet sin that's different than you. God is a God of love. The church can wrap their arms around this, these people. I want you to remember, number two, that love and acceptance are not necessarily the same. In our culture, sometimes these two words are equated or conflated. Here's how it goes. People say this, if you love me, you'll accept me as I am. Here, love means acceptance, and acceptance means tolerance, and tolerance might appear as blaze your own trail, branch out and discover your boundaries, walk to the beat of your own drum. Paul asked this question in Galatians 4.16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Ephesians 4.15 says that we must speak the truth in love. You see, if you have that lesbian, gay, bisexual friend, transgender friend, neighbor, family member, co-worker, you can love them. You can love them the way God wants you to. But when it comes to sexual decisions... There is forbidden love in Scripture. There are forbidden acts in Scripture. We must speak the truth in love. You see, if we're loving but not truthful, we're unfaithful. If we're truthful but unloving, we're ungracious. We must speak the truth in love, and love and acceptance are not necessarily the same. Culture will say, hey, listen, don't you want me to love whoever I want to love? What I'm challenging us to do this morning is to let God define love. Number three, everyone needs transitioning. That's the point of this lesson. Romans chapter 12 talks about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by what? The renewal of our minds. Transformation that all of us need, but it happens when we put on Christ and live in Christ. Number four, we must be people of compassion. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, 36 says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were har harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends, There's a war going on in America this morning. It's a war for your soul. Satan will use whatever he can to get to your soul. Satan will use whatever he can. If it means the flesh, he'll get to your soul through the flesh. If it's your loyalties, he'll use your loyalties. If it's your friends, if it's your family, if it's your neighbors, if it's your co-workers, if it's your boss, Satan will use whatever he can to get to you. 
let's go back to Michelle. Imagine that you had a few moments of her time or her parents' time. What might you say to her? If you had a chance to sit one-on-one with Michelle, would you tell her of Christ's love? Would you tell her of Jesus' compassion? Would you talk to her about God's mercy? Would you talk to her about what authentic masculinity and femininity are all about? Would you talk about what it means to really embrace those as God has designed it? God has created you in that that one day your flesh is going to pass away, but, but for now you can use your femininity, Michelle, for a higher calling. Would you share with her the love of God and the love of Christ? Would you take time with Michelle and say, I want to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Michelle, tell me what you're going through. Michelle, tell me where you're at. I just want to listen for a moment. If you need to cry, I'll be here with you. I'm here to help. I want you to know I'm a friend, not an enemy. I want you to know more than anything else, I have limitations in my capacity to love you, Michelle, but but God doesn't. I have limitations in terms of the peace that I could give you, but God doesn't. He can give you a peace that passes understanding. He can give you a love that is broader and wider and deeper and further than we can ever imagine. God wants you to have that, Michelle. God wants you to have the peace that passes understanding. Michelle, are you willing to let God guide you in this pathway? Book of Revelation paints a picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Michelle, do you know that Jesus is is wanting entrance into your life? And this word of God, it's not just stuffy people that read the Bible and stiff people, but it's, it's people that have minds and bodies. Some of their minds and bodies are like yours. They're ladies. I could give you a list of ones that I would call right now and they would talk to you. Michelle, you're created for something higher, something nobler, something greater. You are created for a glory that is beyond this world. I'm a male, and I don't know what it's like exactly, Michelle, to be in a woman's body, but I know some ladies that could help you understand what it was like for them, and maybe you could relate to them. And although I'm not a woman, Michelle, I want you to know that I still care. But more than me, I want you to know that God cares. Transitioning. No accountable person will spend eternity in heaven unless you bring your body and the sins that you've committed in that body to the foot of the cross at Calvary. Transitioning isn't just for stuffy religious people. Jesus died to transform every accountable person. 
He stands at the door and knocks. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you can be by hearing the word, believing the word, repenting of your sins, confessing the sweet name of Jesus, being buried in the watery grave of baptism, taking your body and your flesh into this watery grave. At baptism, you contact the grace, you contact the death, you contact the blood of Jesus, you contact his resurrection, you contact life. We serve today not only a dying Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we serve a living Savior who is mediating, who is intercessing, who desires to do that for you. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we invite you to do it now and to do it as we stand and as we sing.